Well, it brings us to our time with Garen and Susan this morning. This couple really needs no introduction in our church at, at Emmanuel. Uh, they have been longtime members of our church, and they are our missionaries, our boots on the ground in Togo, Africa, serving in Mongo at a hospital there. And uh, so we are excited for them to be here in Richrest this weekend, and we've asked them to share their daughter's story of uh, God's amazing grace in her life. So, Garen and Sir Susan, thank you for being here. Looking forward to sh- you sharing with us this morning. Thank you, Bill, for having us here. Thank you, Emmanuel, for tuning in, as well as the rest of you. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. And uh, we'll start back in 2012 when uh, Susan and I left for Togo, West Africa, to be full-time missionaries with Emmanuel Baptist Church being our sending church. And so we want to, it's been said that missionaries uh, often are of two worlds, the world we lead, the world we serve in, and I think that's by design. I think God does that to keep us mindful of where our citizenship truly exists. And so anyway, we do share the same struggles as you do, we share joy as you do, even if it's in a different location under different circumstances. But many of our struggles are very, very similar. And today we're going to be sharing with you a testimony that's very personal to us and it has, has had a big impact on us as well as others. And so just, we'll have some video clips along with some narratives during this presentation time. And one thing that's been very pronounced to us is that God's ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts, and you'll see that as being very evident as we go through this uh, series tonight. This journey begins with our daughter, Whitney. She was the youngest of our four children. She was born here in Ridgecrest, and she grew up in Emmanuel Baptist Church like our other three children, and some of you have some parts of this story, but as in the words of Paul Harvey, now you'll have the rest of the story. So uh, again, we're a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here to share with you on this. Uh, this actually uh, began in her teen years when she started a life of rebellion and waywardness, and so that's uh, that was the initial in her early teens that had actually started here. And there's a verse that is in uh, particular to Susan and I in Second Corinthians four. Chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So just because we, as you'll see, Whitney says that she's raised in a Christian home, Christian family, and so forth, there's no guarantee because the God of this age does unveil or does veil people's eyes as well as family members, loved ones. And so it's that verse is particular to us as well. Uh, when she was 16 years old, Whitney left our home. She chose not to follow our rules in our home. And she went to live with Susan's brother in Orange County. And uh, after that, then she went to uh, Arizona. After she graduated from high school, she went to Arizona. And it was just uh, before we were getting ready to leave in 2012 that we found out that she had been using uh, 
methamphetamines. And so it was a struggle for us at that time to decide, do we stay here longer, do we go? And so we uh, brought that uh, before the Lord in prayer. We received counsel, and uh, we did decide to go, knowing that it's a God, a sovereign Lord that we serve. So we did leave in 2012. Uh, here's a video clip that uh, Whitney will narrate. So I was born in California. That's where I was raised. Um, I was born into a Christian home, a family that really loves God. My, my parents are missionaries. And um, yes, we just went to church every Sunday. And they really did give me a good example of what it was like to live for God. Um, but all growing up, I never believed in God. I thought the people I was around, like in the church, so involved in the church, they were all kind of just brainwashed. Um, like, what are they? Everyone's so obsessed about. I really um, rejected God. Um, you know, there was pride there um, as rebellious and did not care about God, basically. Or, or I don't really even think I believed He existed. Um, I just, I did have resentment though. Um, because I remember it's like, why are my parents so obsessed about this? Um, like, I remember my mom would be looking at a sunset and she, it would be really pretty. And she's like, oh, isn't our God so great? Like, and when I looked at it, I literally just saw a sunset and nothing ever clicked. Like, and I was like, why does my mom always relate everything back to God? Oh, that's because God is business, God. Is. And I kind of just resented that and didn't want anything to do with it. When I was about 18, my parents moved out of the country to live in Togo, Africa, um, the full-time missionaries. I actually started smoking meth and doing some really bad drugs, um, hanging out with really bad people and really far from God. And um, I don't know, it was... Um, it wasn't good and my parents were in the country and I just had really negative feelings. I was very rebellious and um, my morals really just went out. They, You just don't have any morals when you're on drugs and you're very selfish and just caring about yourself. And um, so um, I was doing that and then I, I also started um, taking pills and then I ended up selling pills on the street um, to try and make my habit and um, the whole lifestyle um, it was very difficult it was a hard life living like that um, and so uh, through that time I was very distant from my family um, I didn't I wasn't close to them at all and they were aware it was pretty obvious that I was on drugs um, they were aware of what was going on and um, my parents always said um, we will come back to the States Whitney if you need our help right now we will come back um, and I told them I always said no I'm gonna be okay like don't worry about me I'll be okay um, and things just ended up like they started getting worse and worse um, and then I, I, I started using heroin which was really like a game changer like that heroin took everything from me um, yeah it, it will take your entire life like the high is such a it's such a stronghold like you don't care about anyone's feelings you don't care about anything but your high and how to get it um, and so I started using heroin and that's when things really started uh, going really really bad um, I 
I lost the place I was renting out, the room in California, and I started living out of my car with my boyfriend. Um, I did that for about six months, just lived out of my car, and um, just really just consumed by the drugs and the life of it. Um, and then from there, I was living near my grandma and my uncle. They were aware that I was on heroin. Um, they reached out to a rehab called Teen Challenge. And that rehab was really, um, that was a start of this journey that I, with God, because I remember being in the rehab the first day and I was so sick coming off heroin. Um, and I just, I looked up and I seen all these women that were, um, ex-drug addicts, alcoholics. Um, you can just tell that time was on them, on that they've been through a lot. And I just remember um, laying there looking at them and they were all so joyful and like loving on each other. And I've never seen that before, especially with the drug addict you know, world. Like you don't see people loving on each other and so happy, so joyful. And that moment I knew, I was like, wow, God is real. Like it was so evident to me by what I was seeing. And um, so I re that was the point when I realized I was real. Um, I ended up leaving the rehab, um, becoming homeless in that county. I didn't have my car anymore. So I, um, I met a meth dealer and um, slept at his place. And um, I went to another teen challenge, did the same thing, went there, left the rehab slept outside, slept with dealers, like it was just really, really bad situation and um, my mom not knowing, like she said that she would just prepare herself for a call, like um, that when he died or something, like it was, it's very heartbreaking and um, what drugs will do to a family. Um, they were always so worried about me and um, so my dad's friend um, from our church, from our hometown reached out to me and he said, Whitney, we can get you into the Salvation Army Rehab in Lodi, which was like six hours north of where I was at. And at this point, I was kind of like, okay, I'm ready to start this new life. And so I said, okay, I will get on the Greyhound bus. I will travel down to Lodi and um, go to the Salvation Army Rehab. And I got on the bus, and the first stop we made was in McDonald's. And um, I went into McDonald's, and I was in the bathroom for a while. Um, and when I walked out, the Greyhound bus had left me and it had all my stuff. They had my suitcase. All I had was my purse. Um, so the Greyhound bus left me and I was like freaking out. Like, like, what am I doing? I'm now in another place I don't know and I don't have anything now. I did have my phone and I didn't have anything. And so I walked to the nearest Walmart and in my mind, I was like, I just need to get to Lodi. I need to get to that rehab. And I walked to Walmart and I was going to ask someone for a ride um, to hitchhike basically to where I needed to go or to catch up with the Greyhound bus. Um, so the first man I asked, his name was Randy and um, he was an older man. And I just asked him, um, will you, I'm in a really bad situation. Um, the Greyhound bus just left me. I'm trying to get to a rehab, well, can you please help me? And I remember he just like looked at his phone and he was just like, well, um, okay, okay, I'll help you, I'll take you. Let me just call my wife and tell her. And um, so he did and we started driving down 
and he drove me three hours south and all he could talk about was Jesus and he just kept talking about Jesus and how his family his kids are now grown they're serving in the church they're doing this and I'm just like sitting there like okay like this guy keeps and I told him I was like I was like you know it's crazy my parents are actually missionaries in Africa and um He's like, wow, that's uh, that's that's really amazing, and um, he just really had a heart for God. And then I looked down in his car, and there was like this um, this paper, and it looked like a yearbook of photos, like it had photos of couples that were missionaries. And my parents are missionaries in Togo, Africa. And there was a couple that my parents knew, and it was the couple, and their picture was there. And I was like, this is really crazy that, um, you know, my parents, they serve in this country and this is from his church. It was like a bulletin from his church. He drove me to Oakland. I stopped there and um, I actually had to sleep outside in the Oakland Greyhound bus station that night. And then I was going to get to San Francisco to get to the rehab. And um, at this time, you know, I'm still very much on drugs. Like, you know, I did find my luggage. It was in the Oakland station. So this man drove me, drove all the way back home. Such a blessing for God. Um, you know, God protected me through so many, so many avenues and just getting to the rehab. He, his hand was in it all. So in 2018, Things took a real turn when we had found out that he was using heroin and we were in Togo and he was here and so we struggled with what we should do. We knew the uh, opioid crisis, hadn't realized how much it had grown, but it was considerable and so was our daughter going to be another statistic. So we struggled, do we stay in Togo with a team of, I'm the team lead for 45 missionaries and 45 kids. We have a lot of responsibilities there. Do we stay in Togo knowing this, or do we come back to the States and leave our team in Togo? And so it was a really difficult time for us, one of the most difficult. Out of sensitivity and respect for Whitney, we didn't share the specifics with our team at that time, although they did know of her uh, past problems. We had prodigal prayer nights where we would pray for those in our families that were prodigals. And so they were aware of the higher level details, but not the specifics. So then through much prayer and really sensing God's leading in this, we said we are going to stay here in Togo. And you know, whatever we're going to do, we need to stay here and we're going to trust God in this. Uh, and another verse that's very specific to us is in Second uh, Corinthians four sixteen through 18. Paul says... So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And it's always amazing to me how God can bring out those verses at times when we need them so so very much. And so this is one of those that, that spoke to us in so many ways. You heard Whitney mention uh, my friend Fred, our Fred from uh, our home church. Fred and his wife, Anne, flew up to 
Eureka, where Whitney was on the streets, and found her, and how he found her amongst all of the homeless, and there are many, many homeless in Eureka, but he did. I'm thinking as part of his military background with search and rescue missions because he did find her and they had a frank discussion with her and said that, you know, Whitney, this is not going to end well for you. And she said, I know that, I can't do anything about it, I'm hurting my parents, but I'm so hooked. And so Fred had gotten her enrolled into the Lodi uh, Salvation Army there was a problem with that, though, as Whitney was on the bus heading to Lodi, six hours south of Eureka, the uh, Salvation Army at that time said we can't accept Whitney because she had walked out of a teen challenge and she wasn't clean yet. She wasn't off of drugs to order the Salvation Army. So uh, Fred, in real-time action, quickly uh, found a place in San Francisco, which is another God story in itself because... He was on the phone with the person at the rehab in San Francisco. A bed had just opened up by someone overhearing the conversation, said, oh, we can take somebody. And apparently the person at the rehab said this has never happened in his entire career at that rehab. So God was in that detail too. And that's why Whitney had to get to uh, Oakland, San Francisco. She was at that Walmart and where she walked up to the older man named Randy, who I had been able to get in touch with. He has a church up in Ukiah, and uh, we are slated to speak up there in May. And Randy doesn't know how the rest of this story ends, and so I think he's going to be quite surprised to see how God had used him. But it took uh, quite a step in faith to be able to drive a uh, drug-addicted young woman three hours and uh, way out of his way, but yet he took he made that initiative. And then once Whitney was in Oakland, uh, she had no way to get to the San Francisco rehab, so uh, Pastor Bill and Susan Logan's son, Kyle, who had become an Anglican priest, just happened to be pastoring up in the San Francisco area at that time. So Fred contacts Kyle, and he goes, sure, I'll, I'll go get Whitney. They grew up in this town together. They knew each other very well. So they went and got each other. Or he went and got her and took her in, spent the entire day with her, getting her uh, inscribed into the facility there. And, you know, he was wearing his outfit and everything. And so, and uh, Whitney said they didn't talk much, but his presence there meant so much to her. And so, uh, he got her enrolled into that, and later the people in the rehab would come up to Whitney and they go, Whitney, you must have done something really bad to have that priest bring you in here like that. So well, we were very, very grateful for <laughs> Kyle and what he had done as well. Let's continue on with the next part of Whitney's video. Um, so I got into the San Francisco rehab and um, I, things were going better and I was like, okay, I, this is for real this time and I made it 30 days and I was like, okay, 30 days in, like things are changing, I'm going to leave this life of drugs. Um, and then about five to six weeks into the uh, rehab, uh, I, I had a feeling I may have been pregnant 
And so I went, I took a bus to the Walgreens downtown and I got a pregnancy test and, um, and I took it and, um, I took it, the pregnancy test in the Starbucks bathroom and I was with my friend Billy from the rehab and I was, I took it and I was so scared and I came outside and it said that I was pregnant and, um, and I, the dad was somebody that I slept with in the rehab the first week I got there. And so at that point, I just like was, that was the end of it. I was so broken, like, you know, here I'm not homeless, I'm a drug addict and I'm pregnant in a rehab. And so I just remember just like looking up at the sky that day in San Francisco and um, I called out to God you know, like from the depth of my soul, I really, I truly called out to him. Like, I felt like I believed him. Like, and I said, God, I need help. I cannot do this any longer. This is the end of it. Like, and I was so, I had so much fear. And and I heard very like clearly in my heart that he said, Whitney, come with me. You never have to return back to this life again. And um, I kind of just stood up and I was like, you know, I felt like somewhat okay, like, you know, that it, things might be okay. Um, and so I was still crying though. I was crying a lot knowing that my life is gonna be changed forever. Um, so I went back to the rehab and I told them um, that I was pregnant and they transferred me to a woman's rehab with uh, pregnant women and, and kids. Um, and, but then things started changing, like, things started changing pretty rapidly, like, God, like, he started filling my heart with words and thoughts and, like, everything. I really did start seeing things different, like how in the Bible it says, like, we will have unveiled faces and um, when we come before God and um, things, like, my eyes they did start changing. What I was hearing was changing. Um, at the rehab, there was a lot of rap music being played, a lot of cussing and, um, you know, a really hard group of people talking about drugs, sex, alcohol, their stories, how great it was. And I used to love hearing that and telling them my story, like, oh, I did that too, like, oh, like, we stole this, we did this, you know, we ran from the cops, whatever. And I did not want to hear any of it. I was like, I have to get away. Like, I don't want to hear any of this right now and um and things started changing like that and I started pursuing God um and at that rehab there was God placed somebody very special in my life and his name was Roman and he was a Mexican gangster and he had tattoos from the neck down and he wore a hat that said I love Jesus and I went to him and I said I need to talk to you like um, who are you? And he was just so on fire for God. He would always say, hallelujah, like, praise God. Like, that's, that's awesome. Like, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, and he really was, um, there were so many seeds planted along the way. And Roman, I looked up to him. I was like, wow, somebody out of the drug life can come into this world with God and, and be so happy. And, um, so I looked to him and he came to the rehab every day to serve lunch and so, so joyful. And, um, and I just wanted what he had basically. people that you love in your life and for friends and it's a tough prayer 
Um, and I believe that God used this pregnancy um, to do just do that for Whitney. And so on the steps of Starbuck, as she said, when she heard the Lord say to her, come with me, you'll never have to live that life again. I just truly believe that was a new beginning for her with God. So um, he brought so many amazing people into her life at the right time. And uh, she spoke about Roman. He was truly uh, a Mexican gangster who, was, um, who had been in prison on a murder charge. And uh, he was saved in prison. And soon after that, when he was released, he would go, he would go to the rehab and help with the lunches there. And uh, Roman had a huge impact on Whitney's life. And um, just Whitney said, you know, Mom, I never could really understand you and Dad. And I can connect with you. But God brought Roman into my life because he was one I could really connect with and relate to. So we praise God for Roman. And the next person, Anna, um, was in the women's, when she got transferred over to the women's rehab, there was a woman named Anna who would come, and um, she still does this. She goes after work every uh, Wednesday. She'll drive into San Francisco an hour and a half, and she goes into this women's rehab, and she just will sit there. She often will bring pizza or something for, um, something to eat. And uh, she just offers to pray with the women that are there. She offers to um, uh, help explain scripture or just share with them the gospel. And uh, so Anna was a huge uh, spiritual mentor in Whitney's life. And she asked Whitney to church, and Whitney started going to church with her. And she just continued to pour truth into Whitney's life. And we were so blessed that uh, a few months ago we were able to meet Anna in San Francisco for the first time and thank her for um, all that she did for Whitney. So we praise God for her. Um, I was able to visit Whitney in San Francisco and um, it was during that time when we were talking about her pregnancy and op options she would have um, to work through. And of course the option was to, one to keep the baby um, or we were the other option was adoption, and um, in that rehab, as Whitney was thinking about the adoption route, the women in that rehab were just very, um, uh, just very critical and said some uh, really mean things to Whitney. And they were just a harsh group of women, and they um, would tell her over and over, you know, how could you give a baby up for adoption? And um, so Whitney knew that abortion was wouldn't be a choice for her. And so she agreed and said, Mom, you know, let's start looking into um, different um, option, uh, different adoption options. So I got online and looked up um, the first adoption service, Christian Adoption Service that popped up was um, Christian Adoption Services. And they're also known as CASS. And uh, so we made the first contact with them. And um, what seemed to be a roadblock, uh, turned out to be okay. Uh, we learned that this service was in North Carolina, and um, this ministry really didn't take anybody except for those in that area in North Carolina. So God made a way and orchestrated his, his um, province into uh, working out everything, and she was accepted by Cass after they had heard her story. And um, so we praise God for this ministry and the tremendous work they do. And uh, 
So one of the requirements, though, with the adoption agency was having a host family to take um, Whitney in. So let's, um, let's listen to Whitney tell that story about her host family. So they actually, um, you provided a plane ticket for me um, from San Francisco out to Charlotte. So I got on the plane and I remember getting off the plane and you and Cheryl were there waiting um, with a sign that said, Welcome Whitney and so kind and we didn't know each other. Um, there was one FaceTime call that um, we made, me and Cheryl made with the host family, Shay and Lee Williamson. And um, so I seen Shay on FaceTime one time when I was still in the rehab and we were just about to get there. And so um, that was really interesting, you know, like I I'm gonna live with her. And she's so like, they're just so, I just, I love the Williamson so much. Um, so when I got to the airport, I met with you both, and then um, we went over to the host family, the Williamsons, um, and when I entered the house, like, I thought, like, I was just so, like, wow, they have such a beautiful home, like, I just came from a really kind of bad, gross environment, gross situation, but, and I just felt like God was just like, this is like the first of many blessings on this road, and he like, and it was like, I walked into their home, and it was just so gorgeous, and um, their family was there, and, um, you know, my time living with the Williamsons, I never once felt judged, and that is something like I'm always going to remember, because here I was, you know, I had a belly, I was pregnant, and I was with their teenage daughters, and um, they just loved on me, um, never judged me for anything, and that meant a lot to me. Um, we, we did so many things together, I always went to church with them, and they just really, um, they just like enveloped me in their community at church. I met so many friends through it, and um, it was really a wonderful experience living with them. Like, Shay and Lee are the best people I could have, like, God just delivered me right into that home, and they were the best family I could have ever lived with at that time or any time. Like, I just, I always have a home there. They always welcome me back, and we stay in touch, and I just love them so much. So the Williamson's family, what a huge miracle um, God did to bring them into Whitney's life. And the first time we met them, oh, there were so many tears. And uh, just for us, tears of just appreciation and thanksgiving for all that they did. Um, but Shay had her own testimony and her own experience and encounter with God through this. And before uh, this decision was made, she went on a mission trip with her daughter to Mexico. And she just felt God moving her and saying, you know, Shay, I really want your faith to grow. Your faith is just, you have such little faith, and I really want to do something in your life that will change your life in regard to that. And you just like, you just like you just have a toe in the water. And she just said, I knew God was saying to me that I'm going to do something great in your life so you get ready for this and I want to grow your faith and I want you to be like Moses and step into the water and uh, so she returned to North Carolina and she talked to her husband and she said you know 
I just really, I know that God has something in store for us, and uh, I don't know what it is, but I know he has something, um, something is going to happen. And so she changed her homeschooling room into a uh, bedroom, and she put a bed in there. She had no idea why, but she just sensed this was what God needed her to do. And um, a week or so later, she went to church, and uh, one of her pastors approached her, and he started to talk to her about Whitney's story and the need that they had for a host family. And um, she said before he barely could even finish, she was already saying, that is exactly what God wants me to do. And yes, we will do that. So of course she checked with me and her husband, and um, he, they both agreed, and uh, they just uh, loved Whitney so much. And two uh, weeks later, Whitney was on a plane uh, to go live with the Williamson's family. So. We love them so much, as Whitney said, and uh, just thank God for them in, um, in our lives and in Whitney's life. So now we're going to hear about Whitney, and she'll tell about the adopted couple and how she chose them. So I remember you came over and you brought me, I believe it was four books of um, families I could choose, and um, all the books were so nice, these loving families, man and wife, and, um, and we looked through them, and uh, Dana and Darren's was the last book that I looked through, and like when I looked at the cover, they just looked so adventurous and um, happy and um, go-getters, and um, I don't know, something drew me into their book. Like, I just looked at it, started looking at the paper, and I was like, wow, like, this couple is truly like off the hook, you know, like they are amazing. And um, and I loved looking through their book and they, it seemed like they traveled a lot. Um, just wonderful people. And then um, something that really, really connected me with them was the statement of faith. And I read Dana's and it was beautiful and you could see her heart was for the Lord. Um, and like I told you, that was always my one desire for the baby, that he or she would be born into a family that just shared Jesus, loved Jesus, knew Jesus, like tr truly lived the, the life, you know, truly lived it out. And I could see that with Dana's writing. Um, and I read Darren's, and he said something like really profound, um, saying, um, like it said, how is God using you now in life? And it said, uh, he said that um, God is currently using me to be a light in a dark city of San Francisco. And I was reading that, and I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, I just came from San Francisco, and it is so dark there. It's so, it's so dark. Um, and I knew exactly what he was talking about, like being a light in that town, that city. And I was like, Lindsay, this is crazy, like, that he said this. And that right there kind of gave me a clue in, like, I need to, I'm going to choose these people. Like, this is amazing. Um, and so... That was just, that was the, the best choice um, God provided and you provided for me and um, that's, that's basically how that choice went about. My relationship with the Murphs is just so, um, so incredible, um, you know, it just, God was just really looking out for me and he looks out for his children because um, he delivered Maverick, the baby, into the best home I could have ever thought or imagined. Um, I know there's one Bible verse we really hold fast to, and it's 1 Corinthians 2.9. 
and it says, um, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And I truly hold fast to that because, like, Dana and Darren are so much more than I could have ever imagined for parents, for my child. Like, they are just so much more in every way, every aspect. Um, and the love we have for each other is this unity that God has given us. He has truly just bound us, like, and it's just, it's so, I've never loved people like this in my life. Like, there's there's no judgment, no worry, no fear. It's just love, and um, we're so grateful for each other, and um, the experience of, of finding them, meeting with them for the first time. I remember sitting there, and it was on Halloween, and we were out of heart, and I knew, I knew so much that this, this was the couple. Like, I was sitting, and I remember um, Darren was to my left, and Dana was to my right, and um, I just, you just feel the Holy Spirit, like, connecting you in ways it's so supernatural, and, um, and I was connected with them from the day one. Um, the hospital experience is something like so God just sh showed up in so many ways it's almost hard to try and explain because it's just so so much and um, we prayed in the hospital and it was so powerful and um, he was so present there and he's been present on this whole journey with us blessing us in so many ways we have we could not ever have imagined Darren and Dana were such a beautiful and loving couple that um, we're so privileged to be a part of their lives now. And uh, I want to share with you a uh, clip from a um, adoption conference that we were able to go to. And as Whitney's story has been told in various venues throughout uh, the Northeast, um, this was one of them. And the question that the pastor had asked her what, what to the Mertz was what initially led you to pursue adoption. And so let's listen to what, uh, how Darren and Dana respond. Parents, you know, uh, being parents of a child, what initially led? So God had a plan, but this all started somewhere bad, North Carolina, right? You know, a long way away where God was working in y'all's hearts even before all, while all this was happening. So share with the folks what led you to pursue adoption just to start. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been in the works for a long, long, long time. But there was one singular week in May of last year where three of us had an encounter with God, undeniable encounter with God. So I'll share the first two and then I'll hand it to Dana for the third. Um, I was 3,000 miles away from home. Uh, conveniently in a small town called San Francisco. Uh, and everything that could go wrong at work was going wrong. Um, and it kind of had been for the past 18 months. So I was employed in San Francisco. I went out there once a month to work with colleagues. Uh, and it was, a, it was a struggle. I feel like I bottled up a lot of sunshine and Jesus for the three weeks I was here in North Carolina. And then took it to San Francisco and tried to spread it as far and wide as I could. And by the time I stepped on the plane to come back on Friday, I was just gassed. It was like all I could do to get back through the door. And uh, I later learned that God had me in there for a reason. And I'm, uh, I'm walking to, to work, walking to the office one morning. 
And I'm uh, consumed with me. I'm thinking, how am I going to fix this? What's going to come of that? And me, me, me. And it just pierced my conscience. Uh, I heard clear as day, wouldn't it be cool if you had a son? Wouldn't it be cool if you had a son? And I laughed out loud for two reasons. One, it was absurd. And uh, to Shay's point, it was like almost insulting. Like, I, I got bigger things to figure out right now than whatever that means. But I was just wrecked and fixated on it. And, and it, it wouldn't leave me. Um, so I went to the office and, and managed to get through the week. Uh, but, but in the office, big giant pane of glass. And looking down, I did this every week for uh, every month that I was there for about 18 months. Through that window, there's a Starbucks and went there all the time. And what I didn't know at the time, but later learned, the, the, the same week, <laughs> Whitney was on the steps. I had an encounter with God, and he told her, you don't have to live that life anymore. And uh, I, I came home from, from that week, and I, I thought, man, this is going to be a weird conversation with Dana. Um, it's like I got a good news, bad news situation. Um, everything's falling apart at work, but I really feel like God has something for us uh, on adoption. And then the third thing where God just confirmed and confirmed, uh, I'll, let, I'll let Anna share that. Thank you. Yes, um, for a long time, God had placed on my heart adoption, and um, we knew that that was how we were supposed to grow our family, but we hadn't start, started the process. We were like parents, and I guess kind of together a little bit more selfish, kind of pursuing careers and that kind of thing. Um, but I had such a longing for a child in my heart, and for years I would pray, and um, God had spoke just patience, just patience and trust is what He was telling me. Um, and he kept pointing to Isaiah 54, and it was about that you know, more there will be more children for the desolate one than them who has had a husband. Sing for joy and expand your tent. Um, and, and that is what He kept telling me is, is to do this. But anyway, so for years I would pray, and, I, and Darren wasn't on the same page. I loved him to pieces, but he was not. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't ready to be a dad, and I see now that it was all God's perfect timing. But um, God, I didn't know this, that God had spoke to Darren, but that same week I was just in my kitchen, and um, I heard God say, you are with child. And I knew, like, the interpretation also came to me immediately that there was a birth mother with our child pregnant right then, uh, at, the, at the same time that he had spoke to me, and I called my faithful prayer warrior sister and I said, please pray with me for courage. I feel like God's telling me to step out in faith and bring this up to Darren, and like, it's times of the essence, we have to we have to go through this adoption process quickly, and he's not even on the same page, what am I going to do? Lo and behold, he flies back from California, I didn't have to bring it up to him, I said, I'll just say one more thing to that. Um, people, once, once we had that conversation, it was like, all right, we need to press God. Like, despite all logic, Despite all logic, we gotta do this. And people have asked me, how did you know you, you wanted to adopt? Like, how, how are you ever ready? 
And the, the honest truth is I, that made me 1% ready. All of that only got me from zero to one. But I'm here to tell you, we serve the king of the universe, man. He doesn't need perfection. He doesn't need 100%. If you ain't got it, he took 1% uh -huh. and, and walked it all the rest of the way. And I will say quickly that as all of this was happening, Cass was doing all of this work behind the scenes. And none of, none of it would have come together. You know, we showed up at the office and we were, we were taking one step. Like this was a little bit of risk for the king of the universe and, and he honored that. Uh, but, but it wouldn't have happened without Cass and Cheryl being there and taking that call. And the difference is, Whitney's not a number to Cass. Whitney is a, is a daughter of the king. <laughs> And Cass treats their, their birth mothers like that, and that, that's, a, that's a big deal. And um, so while we were taking the 1% step there, they were, they were preparing hearts and minds on, on this side. We just love, love, love Darren and Dana, and we'll never forget the first time we met them at the hospital and their families. and. It just seemed like every time we would see them, just tears and tears of, uh, would just be poured out, and it was just an unbelievable uh, unity and sense of God's presence uh, right during that time in the hospital. And uh, I'm just so thankful when I look back and think about how God's perfect timing. Um, I arrived to North Carolina um, like a couple days before from Togo a couple days before her due date and I was just praying that she wouldn't deliver before I got there and so again God just made it all happen and uh, so I was just so thankful to be there uh, with her during that time and it was a true gift as an OB nurse and her mom it was, it was a really special time for both of us really um, so we spent a lot of time um, just getting to know the uh, Williamsons and the Murphs and their extended families and the grandparents and uh, the whole experience was so spirit-filled and we just sensed that overwhelming sense of the Holy Spirit about us and um, truly it was one of the most uh, spiritual times I think in Gary and I's life. Uh, times we'll never forget that, we'll never forget that time at the hospital. And, um, so, uh, just so thankful for that. Um, next slide. The, uh, Susan did mention that uh, the Murphs and their extended family, uh, the grandparents, everybody who was there, brothers and sisters and so forth. And, you know, we walk into the room and they'd just be, they'd be crying. And, you know, it's really not unusual for me to walk into a room and have people cry. That happens regularly. <laughs> but this was different. And we have a special relationship with that family and we're truly blessed because of that. So he was born on December 31st. And uh, as we spoke about the date, Darren mentioned uh, what a beautiful and what a perfect day he could have uh, been born. And uh, because so much like Whitney's story and here the end of the year, uh, just to end a year of transformation and redemption and uh, restoration in the life of Whitney and now God delivering her from that, from a life of addiction and just a new start for her and her life. So just a year of hope. So it was a beautiful day to, for, a little, for a little Maverick to be born. So. They named him uh, Maverick Joseph and uh, Dan, Dan and Bear, Dan are very intentional people 
And uh, so they wanted a very strong name because God is so powerful in all that he has done in this whole situation. And um, uh, just over and over again, uh, they saw God's presence through it all. And so there's a beach up in north, in near San Francisco called Mavericks Beach. So for you surfers out there, if there's any surfers out there, you know this, this is a beach where, like, I guess one of the, the most powerful waves in uh, California exists on this beach. So they want to name him Maverick because of that. Um, and his middle name, Joseph, uh, reminded them of the Old Testament Joseph, uh, reminded them of the Old Testament story of Joseph, um, just thinking about Whitney and so many times she must have felt like Joseph just feeling abandoned and just not so much abandoned but just feeling isolated and just lonely really and um, so and then coming into the New Testament Darren said Joseph in the New Testament the earthly father of Jesus and he knows that he would he's never um, going to be Maverick's uh, biological father but his prayer and his trust is that he will be a father to Maverick, uh, like Joseph was a father to Jesus. So, uh, very intentional people, and I love the, the name they picked. Um, this is an open adoption, as I wanted to mention too, that it's an open adoption, and Whitney's very involved in their lives, and uh, gets to see the Maverick every few months they drive to where she's at, and our, we're part of that too. Courtney has had a lot of opportunity to um, visit Little Maverick as they go to San Francisco in that area from time to time. And uh, we're just so thankful uh, for them in our lives as well. And uh, we hope to see them in June and uh, spend some time with them. So uh, we'll listen now to the last two minutes of uh, Whitney's little finish up with her testimony. God, um, I've seen God do so many things. Um, you know, he's he's such a good God, and uh, he pursued my heart when I was, like, not righteous. I was so a terrible person, like, careless, selfish, no morals, so dirty, and just, and he pursued my heart, and he made a way when I thought there was no way. I remember sitting there, like, there's, there's no way this is the end of it and um, it really wasn't it was just the beginning and he's made a way um, for a new life redeemed the life restored um, he's the God of everything and you know he will take care of us for the rest of our lives um, the life in him like it's just so satisfying like I clearly tried so many other ways alcohol drugs sex everything God is the way, and I know this, and I want to tell people this, you know, because he's the only one that satisfies, and, um, and he's been in work um, with the adoption agency, with Dana and Darren, my life, the Williamsons, his hand has been in all of this, just really um, orchestrating all of it, and showing his love for us, his steadfast love, it won't ever go away, and it's just really, it's remarkable, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. So we've been asked a lot about how Whitney is doing today. And um, soon after her birth, we moved her to Lynchburg, Virginia. And she lives there, her sister Chelsea there. And she started, we got her enrolled in some college classes. And just this last semester, uh, that uh, she was so excited that she was accepted into the 
Liberty University School of Nursing, and that was an impossibility, really. And we thought there was just no way Whitney would be able to be accepted there, but we're praising God. He made another way for her. And uh, so she's thriving there. She's involved with Crew Catholic Crusade for Christ, and she's just highly energetic about sharing her faith and the gospel and her, her story. Um, and uh, she is just sold out for Jesus these days, and she um, just her whole life has been transformed and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're praising God for that. And um, she's had oftentimes she's had uh, uh, opportunities to give her testimony with various uh, groups, conferences, and things like that, and she's just telling her story over and over again. And um, she praises God for that. And one particular time she went, she knew it was a campus crusader going to Florida uh, for an evangelistic event. And she knew somehow that out of the 200 kids that were going, there was a boy named Maverick going. And she was kind of um, just a little bit hesitant there. It was just, it was so new to her as far as just uh, so recent with the birth and everything. But anyway, so during their time where they were doing their introduction, she got placed in his group, and they were doing their, their, their just short introductions of themselves, and the, this young man said, hello, my name is Maverick, and I'm adopted. And so Whitney was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that he's adopted, and his name's Maverick. I mean, this is so unusual. So anyway, through that, again, the Lord just brought somebody into her life just to encourage her and he was uh, just um, a growing Christian that loved the Lord and just really uh, spoke a lot of truth about his story too into Whitney's life and um, she really knows and we know he, God really used this pregnancy for his glory and he really pulled her out of the pit of darkness and made her a child of the King and that was our prayer all along and um, she says, you know, heroin addiction is such a powerful stronghold. It's so hard to get off heroin. And without this pregnancy, she often wonders whether she would have ever left that lifestyle. And uh, she knows that God used this time in her life where she was so hopeless and just desperate. And that's where God um, turned her life around into something beautiful. So truly, it is a story of hope. and. Uh, for you all, for you that um, have people in your life that uh, you're praying the hard prayers and just wanting them to come back, just never give up. Many times, you know, we pray, we pray even for years, and we think, is God really hearing us? And we just have to be patient in His timing and in His way and release and surrender everything to Him. Um, and it's just unbelievable what God can do because here we were in Togo and we really didn't have part of Whitney's story so much. We were so far away and God did it all through, through the intervention of so many people in her life. Um, it was Him that did it all and He receives the glory for all of this. And um, each person has a story to tell in, in, in uh, how they met Whitney and what role they played. And we're just so thankful that so many lives were touched through it. So I just want to encourage you for whatever you're facing now in your life, if it's a situation that seems like there's no way out or you're feeling hopeless, just remember how God is so present and He hears our prayers. He loves us so much and He loves those 
that you love. And so never give up praying, and he will always go after that one. He will leave the 99 and go after the one, just to keep trusting him completely, never give up. And uh, that's what he taught us through this journey. And um, we're praising God for um, be a part of this. So um, we wanted to just close with um, a two-minute clip that the, um, Dana and Darren put together for us, and it was a celebration of Maverick's first birthday this past December.
the stories about hope and redemption, and it reminds me of a group of men that followed someone 2,000 years ago and spent three years with him and saw miracles and he taught them many things and had a triumphal entry into Jerusalem that day, today, Palm Sunday. And yet that Friday they watched him die on a cross and that amount, that amount of hopelessness, of fear, they had to be overcome by every emotion possible. Yet Sunday was coming, and that was that Resurrection Sunday, and that pivotal point has changed the world. And I think God places those kinds of challenges and opportunities before us. And most of the time those challenges come maybe unexpectedly or maybe unwanted. I still think we need to be intentional. Can I be a Fred, a Randy, a Kyle, Roman, and Anna, a host family, the Williamsons, or the adoptive couple, the Murphs, and I'd be that type of a messenger. And we all can be and make an internal impact for the kingdom. Whitney has asked us to share her last words here with you, and as we end this session, she says, after hearing this testimony, my hope would be that you will see how big our God really is. The length he goes to, to pursue and protect his own and the miracles that can happen because of his richness in mercy. He went after me, even in depths of surrounding darkness. His light shone through. In Psalm 139, 12, the psalmist said, Even the darkest is not dark to you. May the Holy Spirit move in your heart to seek and know him and praise him for who he is. Thank you for being here today. And Karen and Susan, thank you for uh, sharing Whitney's uh, story with us today. And uh, maybe you're hearing this story out there, or maybe you know somebody who has a Whitney story that's uh, in a point of darkness. I want you to share this testimony with them. Through this uh, Facebook, um, God's going to use it. And if you are that Whitney, and you're thinking to yourself, Boy, her story is my story. I have a verse for you this morning as well. It, uh, well, you heard Whitney say that God made a way. God made a way. You know, we hear this uh, new Christian song being sung a lot these days, Waymaker. God is a waymaker. And the Bible says in Psalm chapter 91, verse 14, says this, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will rescue him and honor him. Do you know his name? His name is Emmanuel, God with us. His name is Jesus, salvation, the one who saves. If you'll just take that 1% step of faith and call upon his name, his name, he knows your name. And he will respond to him, you in love, and he will make a way. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Father, for this amazing miracle 
that you've done in Whitney's life and in her family, and in this extended family and Maverick's family and her his new parents. God, many people are hearing this story right now, and you know each one. You understand the tears, and God, you hear the cries for help. God, we pray that they would call upon your name, and you will make a way for them as well. Thank you, Father, for the story of hope and redemption that many of us have experienced. God, we love you, and we thank you that we've been able to share this on Facebook today. Use it over and over again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all on this Palm Sunday. I hope you have a great one. Love you. Bye-bye.